series, Come and See. This is the second week. We're going to turn into the Gospel of Luke this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, I think, for the rest of this series. You can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 5. And this series is really highlighting moments of encounter with Jesus, and more specifically, moments when other people bring someone to Jesus. And so that's part of what we want to highlight in this series is is noticing what the text has to say to us when friends bring friends to Jesus. When we say, hey, come and see this person, Jesus, who has utterly changed and transformed my life who has healed me from A, B, and C, who has delivered me from X, Y, and Z, who has given me a new life and a new outlook and a new energy and a new confidence. Or this this person who has sat with me in my lowest moments, in my sufferings, in my disappointments, in my frustrations, and he has wept as I've wept, and he has remained close as I've drifted afar. Come and see Jesus. Come and see. And really, that's the task this morning. That's the task every week. That's the task of folks like me who preach is that somehow our words would point beyond our words and point to Jesus. And so my hope this morning would be even that you could see and hear beyond all the ways I'll give you to be dismissive of Jesus because I'm just a person. And that you'll lean in to see and to hear Jesus, who is here and present. Like, do we come to church with the anticipation that there's not just good worship, that there's not just going to be the preaching of scripture, that there's not just going to be my friends and community and coffee after and before the service, but that Jesus is present by his spirit. And because of that, there's power for my life to utterly be changed and transformed in a moment. Now, most of life, of course, is a process, but there are moments, threshold moments of crossing over, threshold moments of change and transformation, threshold moments of encountering Jesus where I found myself one way, and now I'm completely different. So that's where we are, Luke 5. I'm going to read the text. This is going to be a story about barriers, burden carriers, bringers, and Jesus, the friend of sinners. So let's read it. One day Jesus was teaching I love this. One day Jesus was teaching. It's an ordinary day. It's a normal day. It's like when you put on your movie and all the cinematography is trying to tell you that this is just the normal, ordinary, day-to-day life. And of course, you know that's a setup that things are about to get very not ordinary. But one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. You can underline that. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. You can circle, highlight, underline, and exclamation point that phrase. 
Verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed, gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. In the NRSV, it says, we've seen some strange things today. I love that. Ordinary day, Jesus preaching, power on him to heal. By the end of this text, we're like, that was weird. That kind of sounds like an encounter with Jesus, though, doesn't it? Ordinary life, Jesus intersects us in our ordinary life. That got weird. Okay. What I want to do is I just want to highlight a few things in in this text. There's so much going on. Luke is such a a deep and, and layered Uh, writer. And of course, we can't do all this. We'll be here a long time. And you know, I already have a tendency to go long. So, Um, but I want to highlight a few things. Could you go back to the the first part of that text? Just that idea of Jesus was teaching and the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. The note I want to make here is simply this, that when Jesus teaches, and he's probably teaching about the kingdom of God, that's typically what Jesus is teaching about. I think we can assume that's what he's teaching about based on the rest of the gospel of Luke and uh, the other gospel witness of what Jesus tended to teach about the kingdom of God. In other words, what happens when God is in charge? What happens when God's authority is on display? What's interesting here and what I think the gospel writers always want us to grab a hold of is that when Jesus teaches, he has power to make happen what he's talking about. So he's not just someone who teaches, he has power to do and to demonstrate what it is he's talking about. So if Jesus is teaching about healing, the sick get healed. If Jesus is talking about liberation, the bound gets set free. If Jesus is talking about forgiveness, those who need forgiveness receive forgiveness. Jesus does what he teaches. He's a show-and-tell kind of communicator. It's powerful. You can go to the next. No, you can keep it there, actually. Sorry. Sorry. And so some men come carrying a paralyzed man, and they couldn't find a way to get this man to Jesus because of what? The crowd. And I want to, there's barriers. Barriers. That's what I want to talk about, barriers. How many of you know, on one hand, this is kind of how life is, right? Like life is full of barriers. There are obstacles. You know, you have that moment You set your alarm for 4.30 a.m. You go to bed, though, thinking tomorrow's leg day. Atlanta traffic is terrible. 
think it'd be a good day not to go. But you set your alarm for 4.30 a.m. It goes off. You drag yourself out of bed. You get into your car. You drive to your gym. You're there. And you're thinking, right, like, I'm doing the right and good thing here. Surely the universe is going to work in my favor because I'm doing the thing I know I'm supposed to do. I set my intentions. I'm doing it when I don't feel like it. It's leg day. I'm going to go hard. And you get to the gym. And there's all the squat machines or squat racks, depending where you go to the gym. No judgments. And they're all taken. Isn't that the worst? And then what's worse is you look at some of the folks and you're like, okay, person one, two, and three are here to do work. I respect that. They got here before me and they're putting in the work. Okay. And the other person is like scrolling through their Instagram account. They are not, right? There's barriers. Things aren't going your way. I know it's a silly story. It's not really what's so much what's happening in this text, but the idea is sometimes we think we're doing the right thing and the good thing, and we are, and it's like we live our lives like if I get to Jesus, if I just get there, everything's going to go my way, and we show up, and the crowds, and the Pharisees, and the people are in the way. The doors didn't just open. The crowd didn't just part. There's something else I might have to do or lean into. I have to have some sort of emotional and spiritual resilience to press into the moment to receive what it is I'm there to receive, to get what I came to get. Does that make sense? And so the idea of barriers doesn't mean that we're not living in faith or that we're not doing the faithful thing. But it is a part of life, and we may need to push through some barriers. But here's the other thing. If you're that person scrolling through your Instagram on the squat rack, don't be that person. You are the barrier. And we don't want to be barriers. And I wonder how many of us live our lives not as those who are making access to Jesus easy for others, but are living in ways that are barriers to Jesus. And I wonder how much of the way we talk about God or our faith or the rants that we go on, how much of that is pointing to Jesus? How much of it, though, really is just a barrier to Jesus? And I wonder if we could be people who live maybe with like a value to say, I'm not gonna live in a way that I'm keeping people from getting to Jesus. I'm gonna be like these men who carry their friend on a mat. I'm gonna be someone who brings others to Jesus. And that's the movement we want in our heart, right? It's not that we're always barriers. 
and many of us aren't, but, but we want that movement of I'm, I'm moving from a barrier to Jesus to a person who brings others to Jesus. And so let's look at that. We, we, because these men are amazing. These men are amazing. It says these men carried a paralyzed man on a mat. They carried him. They're carriers. They're burden carriers, aren't they? And I like to think that these men are in community with one another, so there is a shared care and a shared burden that they have with this man who they're bringing to Jesus. And they sit they, they've, they probably know this guy. They've probably known this guy for most of his life. I mean, they, these are like close-knit communities that we're talking about. These, this isn't like sort of a transient kind of life that we live. These are close-knit communities. They know this man. And they care enough to carry him to Jesus, which is probably no easy task. But I'd like to think that what that also means is there, there are people who have sat with him. And they've sat with him in his pain. They've sat with him in his suffering. They've heard his story. They've cared for him emotionally. They've cared for him physically. They are sharing in his burden. And I love this man, too, because it's a vulnerable thing to let your friends care for you. It's not an easy thing to let other people physically and emotionally see you and know you and care for you. And yet, this man seems to have allowed his friends into his life. There's a deep, deep care. And this is how it is so often, pain and suffering and the relief from pain and the healing from pain are almost always experienced in relationship with others. The pain we experience, the suffering we endure, the relief from those things, and even the healing from those things happen in relationship, not in isolation. Although pain and suffering can and often do happen in isolation, and this might be a word for us that how often do so many of us suffer alone and endure our pain alone rather than sharing our burden, our pain, our suffering with others? And so we don't want to be barriers. We want to be burden carriers. But here's the thing. I know so many of you who sit with the burdens of others. I mean, some of you are just, you're even professionally, you're like in the healthcare field. Like you are doing the work day in and day out of sitting with folks who are in incredible pain, incredible suffering, and physically and emotionally caring for those people. Some of you have family members who are in incredible pain and suffering, and you have sat with them in that for their entire life. 
and you have hoped with them, you have cried with them, you've been disappointed with them, you've been frustrated with them, you've shaken your fist at God with them, but you have carried and shared their burden with them. Or maybe you have friends that have been that for you. Or maybe you are a friend who does that for your friends. Burden carriers. And this really is a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we share in one another's burdens. I mean, that's one of Paul's commands to the New Testament churches, share one another's burdens. Jesus, on his way to being crucified, his burden had to be shared with a stranger. Someone else had to help him carry his cross. And so we share in the burdens of one another. And so we can and we do. But how many of us get so tired? So tired of sharing in the burden. So tired of the weight of life that we have to carry. How exhausting is it to fight through the roller coaster ride, the ups and downs of pain and suffering? How exhausting is it to go from a little bit of hope to a whole lot of frustration to a whole bunch more disappointment again? And some of us in the caring fields, I mean, compassion fatigue is real. That we, that we exhaust ourselves sharing in the pain of others. And here's the good news for us. We can't rescue and fix everyone, even though we try. We can let go of that. We do share in the burden, but it is not on us to rescue and fix. And we're not the cure. But Jesus is. So we don't want to be barriers to Jesus. We want to be burden carriers with one another. And more than that, we want to be people who bring others to Jesus. We want to be burden carriers and bringers to Jesus. Because Jesus is the cure. I want to say it again. We can carry and we do carry one another's burdens. But only Jesus can cure them. And Jesus has the power to heal. Jesus has the power to make whole. Jesus has the power to call us to rise up into new life. And so these men do that. They carry their friend's burden, but more than that, they bring their friend to Jesus. And you can go to the next slide. Actually, let's go back, sorry. Takes me a minute. My, I'm wearing glasses. I love this. They lower the man in front of Jesus. And then this is what Jesus does. He sees their faith. 
this, this, is, this is a little bit of a shocking text. He sees their faith. Do we have a faith that's visible? Do we have a faith that's tangible? Like these guys show up and Jesus sees something different about them than all the crowds that are around them. It might be that they destroyed a roof. It might be that they lowered their friend on a mat down in front of them, right? It might be all those things. But the point here is that Jesus sees their faith and he's moved by what moves them. It's an act of intercession. It's an act of intercession that there's something in our relationship with Jesus. And I would say it's because it's a relationship that what moves you moves him. That their heart is moved by the burden of their friend and the way they share in that burden. And their act of prayer is to do anything they need to do to get their friend to Jesus. They push through a crowd, they climb up on a roof, they wreck the roof, they get their friend down in front of Jesus. It's a prayerful act of intercession. We're not leaving till we get from Jesus what Jesus can give to us. The power is on him to heal and we're not missing our moment. And you have friends and you have family and you have people in your life with all manner of suffering and I'm wondering, does our heart move in a place of intercession for them? Are we indifferent to whether or not they encounter Jesus? Are we indifferent to whether or not they're ever made well? Or is our heart moved with such compassion that we sit or stand in a place of intercession and say, Jesus, unless you, we've got nothing else. We live a little bit in an age of indifference. You do you and I'll do me. But what I'm asking us is, and by the way, not because we're living in fear or we need our friends to like be like us or believe like or any of this kind of stuff. I'm saying, but because we know there's a different kind of life for them in encountering Jesus, an awake to God life, a full life, a flourishing life. Do we ache? Do we cry? We're our friends who need Jesus. These guys do. And Jesus sees their faith. Jesus is moved. Jesus speaks. But before I get to what Jesus said, there's one other thing I want to say is that what these men demonstrate, in contrast to the crowds and the Pharisees of this, we are almost always living in the liminal space between resisting what God is doing and partnering with what God is doing. These men partner with what God is doing. They can see the power is on him 
to make whole. Some are standing in judgment. Some are trying to hold Jesus accountable. Some are doing their best to call Jesus out. By the way, some of us are so stuck on holding everybody else accountable and calling everybody else out for their stuff that we miss Jesus in our midst all the time. And I'm not saying people don't need to be accountable or called out. They actually do. But some of us are so fixated on that stuff, we miss Jesus time and time and time again. That's a side note. But these men, rather than resisting what God is doing, they partner with what God is doing and they get their friend before Jesus. You can go to the next slide. I love this. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, you might think that's strange because at the beginning of the text, the power is on them to heal. They're bringing their paralyzed friend to Jesus. So clearly, we can assume that they're bringing this man for a physical healing. And Jesus begins with forgiveness. The work here for us modern readers is to not separate physical and spiritual healing but to see that for Jesus, the power to heal is the power to make whole, that he's going to, he's going to speak healing to the whole person. For some of us, what we want is a Jesus who simply speaks to the spiritual. You're so glad this is where Jesus starts. You want a Jesus who's kind of a Gnostic, doesn't really care about our bodies, just cares about our souls. Forgiveness. And some of us want a Jesus who only cares about the material well-being and physical well-being of people and that this stuff like forgiveness is a bunch of archaic, metaphysical nonsense. And Jesus is kind of disinterested with that division. Jesus wants to heal your inner life. He wants to make our bodies well. And so he says, friend, your sin is forgiven. There's a couple things here I want to highlight. One, by forgiving sin, Jesus is doing what God does, so he's not so subtly telling all the onlookers, hey, everybody, I'm God. If you want to know what God is like, this is what God is like. I'm going to show you. I'm not just going to tell you about it. I'm going to show you. This is what God is like. You've been searching for God. You've been talking about God. You've been arguing about God. You've been dialoguing about God. You've been wrestling with God. You've been asking questions about God. You've been going, what is God like? Jesus has come to reveal what God is like. He's about to show us. That's what he's doing. But I want to talk about sin for a minute because it would be easy for me to skip, but it's a big deal in the Gospels. And I love this because they bring this man, this paralyzed man, and some of, man, we come to church for all kinds of different reasons. We come to church looking for people to date. We come to church looking for community. We come to church because we like the music. We come to church 
because our parents said we need to go to church. We come to church because we've just been doing it for 20 or 30 years, and we, we just don't even know why anymore. We come, like, we come to church for so many reasons, and we want the church to meet so many needs. But I want to I remind us that part of the primary role of what it means to be the church, and, and by that I mean like all of us, like and what it means to be a priesthood of believers, is that we announce the forgiveness of God to the world. Like, do I want you to find community here? Absolutely. That's, that's a good piece of what it means to be the church. But if we only find community and never encounter the God who forgives, we've missed a whole bunch of the point. And so I want to say, so sin, right? What, like, why does this matter? I'm probably going to read this more because I, I want to get this right, but... This goes back to the garden, right? And do you remember, like, God told Adam and Eve, like, I'm going to send one who's going to crush the head of the serpent and make wrong things right. Jesus is fulfilling that. And so because Adam and Eve abandoned their vocation as image bearers of God, that's what they did when they took of the fruit. They abandoned their primary vocation as image bearers of God, as those who live in relationship to God, relationship to one another in a godly way, and reflect that glory, God's glory, into the creation they've been delegated to care for. So they abandon their vocation, and because of that, all of us, all of humanity has been infected by the sting of death and the disfigurement of sin. We're all going to die, and we are subject to the power of sin. Sin enslaves us. So we, too, abandon our priestly vocation to love God and neighbor in response to God's love for us as image bearers of God and make idols of just about anything and everything. And what I mean by that, right, is God as God is to be worshiped and glorified above and over all things, the center of our life. We're obedient to God, and we make idols. We just put other things above God all the time. Our finances, our dreams, our sex drive, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. That's, you know, but you can put you in there. And that's the power of sin. So think of that as like a capital S sin, as capital S sin, like the power of sin that enslaves us. And because of that, Now we think about like small s sin. We find manifold ways, like endless amounts of ways to sin, to be sinners, to participate in sinning. And what I mean by that is this is all the ways we find to do harm to the name of God, to do harm to others, to do harm to ourselves as we live in ways that misrepresent the image of God in our life that disfigure the image of God in our life and in the world. And so we've got, we've got a sin thing that we need a cure for. We've got a death problem we need a cure for. All of us. Is this okay? All of us, everyone here. 
And I want to say this about sin real quick, because the effect of sin in our sinning is, is as numerous as there are people. But I want to look at this text in this way, maybe a more poetic way or a sort of a Lectio Divina way of reading it. We can see that while, because we know Jesus is going to forgive him, and I'm, and I'm getting to that. But what we can see is that while forgiveness, by the way, doesn't undo our past, right? It doesn't erase that this man has lived how many years of his life the way that he's lived his life. What he's done and what's been done to him has happened. It's a part of his life. And he must learn to accept it as it is. And all of us must learn to accept our lives as it is. But what... Even though forgiveness does not undo our past, it does make moving forward possible. And so without it, we're bound to our painful past. And when we expect forgiveness to undo our past, we remain stuck. But, when, but what forgiveness does is it frees us from our past so we can rise up like this man into new life. Are you tracking? So we've got a capital S problem, the power of sin. We sort of participate in that power with all the different ways that you are already thinking about, that you participate in that. And the effect of sin, generally, maybe not in your life, but I think as it relates to this text, is it, it doesn't undo our past, but it can keep us stuck to the pain of our past. It can keep us bound from moving forward. It can keep us fearful of our future. And what forgiveness does is liberates us, sets us free from the enslavement we have so that we can rise up and walk in new life. That's good news, I think. Am I doing Okay. So here's the deal. We need a cure. We need a healing. We need a savior. We need someone who can rescue us from our condition and make us whole. We need a friend like Jesus. This guy's got good friends, but he needs Jesus. He's got people that carry his burdens with him, but he needs Jesus. And we're carrying burdens of others, and people are carrying our burdens, but man, we need Jesus. And ultimately, what we're going to find through the Gospels and even in this season as we approach Easter, right, is like in, ultimately Jesus will put death to death and overthrow the power of sin through his crucifixion and resurrection, right? Come on, that's good news. And by the way, Luke would not have it lost on us that his wordplay here, telling the man to rise up, is the same way he's going to talk about resurrection, Rise up out of sin, rise up out of death, rise up out of your old life, and step into the new life God has provided. The new life that God has gifted through the work of Jesus. And so all of us can live free from the power of death and sin. We can all live awake to God, fully alive because of what Jesus has accomplished through the work of the cross and his resurrection. But for now, to this man, I love this, verse 20, a few words will do. Friend, your sin is forgiven. No punishment to be handed out, no sacrifices to be made, no great deeds to be done, no inner power to unlock, no quest to complete, no test to pass. Simply a few words freely given by the one who has the power and authority to heal us 
and make us whole. Friend, your sins are forgiven. A few words that can utterly change us to our most whole, alive, beautiful, glorious selves. Friend, do you hear him calling you friend? That's how he's meeting you. Friend, your sins are forgiven. We come to God with so many images, so many pictures, so many ideas, so many expectations of what it will be like when we're fully exposed in our sin and in our death anxiety before the creator of life. And that creator of life looks at you and says, friend, your sin is forgiven. Friend, he calls you friend. And so he speaks a few words that restore us to our vocation, to our primary purpose, a priesthood of image bearers radiating God's transformative love wherever we find ourselves, undoing the harm of sin everywhere we go. The band can come. And so can you hear those words this morning? Friend, your sin is forgiven. Friend, your sin is forgiven. It's good news. And so the story ends. The man is not just forgiven, but his body is healed. And it ends with him returning to his home, praising God. And I think this is so beautiful because God will do such a healing work in our lives that the people and places we want to escape, he will send us back to as whole individuals glorifying and praising God. Right, like Jesus isn't on a get you out of your life project. Jesus is on a get you whole so you can live in your life project. Now, don't mishear me. For those of us who maybe are in abusive situations, you need to escape your life and you have a pastor's permission to get out today. Emotional, physical, spiritual, any kind of abuse, get out today. You have my permission. However, that's not what we're talking about. It's not what the text is talking about. What's happening here is God is doing such a work in this man's life that he can go back to the people who know him most, totally changed, totally different, praising God, glorifying God. So here's, here's how I want to end today. I want to, I want to make a call. First, maybe to those of us who, who follow Jesus and to say, could we be people who will be bringers to Jesus? Yes, we will carry the burdens of others. We'll carry the burdens of our family and friends and even strangers. We will do that because it is the gospel work. It is the Jesus work. It is part of our vocation to carry the burden of others. And we will be people who point people and bring people to Jesus the one who can heal them, save them, set them free. And then I want to make a call, and there'll be ministry team back along this wall during worship. 
that if you've maybe never even met Jesus, I want you to go get some prayer today. Go receive prayer. Go tell this ministry team, I want to meet Jesus. I want a word of forgiveness over my life. Or maybe you've met Jesus, but you've just kind of been spiraling back into one of those sin patterns in your life and you need that thing broken off your life. Or you want a fresh start. Again, I'm gonna invite you, go get prayer this morning. Go get prayer. Have someone pray with you. So Jesus, would you give us grace to bring others to you And would you give us grace to receive your word of forgiveness, to receive your invitation to friendship, that we might be made whole, fully alive followers of Jesus.